Prayer. Anybody need an outline? There were some on your chair and some of you brought them back. Should be. Someone needs one back here. Outline on prayer. Prayer. Okay. Nobody needs one. All right. Got it. We have some extras here if you need one. Um, so, uh, why does God want us to pray? And uh, how can we pray effectively? We start out with the definition. Prayer is personal communication with God. And then, why does God want us to pray? That is, why did God set up the world in such a way that uh, he wants people to pray? Why doesn't he just supply our... He, the Bible says he knows what we need before we ask him. Why doesn't he just, you know, when he sees we need a new car, pow, there's a new car. It just appears in the garage. <laughs> that kind of thing. Sees we need breakfast, pow, there's breakfast. Uh, he didn't set up the world that way. He set up the world to work and say that well, on the one hand, we do ordinary activities and ordinary activities of life and working to, to uh, provide for our needs, but also he set up the world to work in such a way that he wants us to pray and bring our needs to him, bring our cares and concerns to him. And um, why? Well, here are some suggestions. This may not be exhaustive answers, but uh, I had uh, some suggestions on why God set up the world in such a way that we pray. One is prayer expresses our trust in God. This is a review from last week. It's not so that God can find out what we need. He knows what we need. But it's rather that when we pray and ask him for things, we're saying, I trust you, Father. And he delights in being trusted. It's a way of honoring him. So that's one. And number two, prayer expresses our dependence on God because we're calling him our Father who, and, and, and as we think of him as Father, we acknowledge that we depend on him for our needs, and he delights in that. Number three, prayer brings us into deeper fellowship with As we pray, we uh, a deeper relationship with him. And number four, allows us to be involved in activities that are eternally important. As we pray for things, even things that we have no control over, and we see God answering those prayers, and we say, thank you, Lord. That was really neat that you allowed me to be involved with this search for a new pastor, this, um, somebody getting well, uh, somebody finding a job, some family situation being reconciled, somebody coming to know Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you let me be involved with this. And when you see answers to prayer, you just smile and say, thank you, Lord. That's, uh, that's really nice. That's really fun. It's really, I don't know, a privilege to be involved in those things. So those are some of the reasons God wants us to pray anyway. And I think some of the reasons he set up the world so that we would pray. Now we asked, uh, what about the effectiveness of prayer? Does it make any difference? Some people say, oh, prayer is just for us. Prayer just changes our hearts, brings us more into line with God's purpose. And when I read the Bible, I don't see that that's the only thing. Yes, that does happen when we spend time in prayer. God does change our hearts, does make us more in line with his purposes. But I think there's more than that. I think, actually, prayer changes the way God acts. And there, I, I went through a few verses here. Uh, one with Moses, where Moses was pleading uh, with God not to destroy the people, and then God said, all right, I won't destroy the people. And uh, again, um, ask and it will be given you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. There's all this in the Bible about if we ask, then God responds. We ask, God responds. We ask, God responds. You say, he doesn't always ask, give me what I ask for. Yes, of course, that's right. It's asking, it's not demanding. It's asking, it's not commanding. <clears throat> it's asking. But, but very often... 
in the Bible, we see where people ask and God answers. And uh, there are a lot of these, if you do this, then I will do this statements in the Bible, where it seems like there is a real effect on how God works in the world. When we pray, he changes the way he acts in the world. That is astounding. But I think it's real. I think it's real because dozens of places in the Bible we find that. Uh, James 4, 2, you do not have as you do not ask. Now, that brings us to the question, what kind of prayer is most effective? What kind of prayer is God most pleased with? And then uh, we, this is where we, uh, this is the last point that we were talking about last week. Prayer that interacts personally with God, where Moses was pleading with God and bringing reasons to God and asking God because of this, because of the honor of your name, because of what the Egyptians will say, because of your word that you promised. And he's interacting personally with God. Or we had Abraham, well, if there are 50 righteous, if there are 40, if there are 30, even if there are 10, you will not destroy the city. And so he's interacting personally with God. Jacob wrestling with God and saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. Or Hezekiah uh, laying the letter from uh, the uh, uh, Sennacherib and the Rabshakeh, the uh, leaders of Assyria. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. And, and, Rab- and uh, Hezekiah lays the letter before the Lord and says, Lord, will you help? And so there's personal interaction, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, interacting with God, saying, Father, if it be possible, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I mentioned uh, then this uh, P.T. Forsyth. Oh, book, The Soul of Prayer, where he said prayer is will against will, where we're asking something, and if God at times will agree with what we ask for, or sometimes he changes our heart, so we ask for something different, and sometimes there's a combination, so there's a modification. And sometimes, of course, God says no, uh, and, he, and he doesn't answer. Um, and uh, so uh, we talked about point three, asking someone to dinner and really waiting for a response, and we talked about uh, drawing near with confidence to the throne of grace. And then ended with this, uh, David McIntyre, the book, The Hidden Life of Prayer, which I recommend, where he said, uh, it's just just a little hundred-page book, and I've read through a number of times, but I find it really helpful. It's stories of different people in the history of the church and talking about how they prayed and what their prayer life was like. But I recommend that book by David McIntyre. But in that, there's this which he says, he quotes someone who says, pray and pray. That is, do you, do you know what I mean? Do you, some people, I, I kind of got nods last time when I said, you, you spend some time in prayer and it seems like it's almost going through the motions for a few minutes. And then all of a sudden there's a sense of being in the Lord's presence that comes on you. And then you start to really pray. And there's a genuine interaction with God. Somebody in the orchestra who plays the viola, who was that last week, came up to me afterward and said, oh, she said she comes in late because she's in the orchestra. She said, <clears throat> there's an analogy with the musician. You get a new piece and you know the notes and you play the notes through and then you play it again. She said, you play it until you play it. That is, you play until you really play it. And then you can play it because you know it and it's instinctive. And... Uh, and um, and uh, she and uh, she said, yeah, it's like uh, sports too, where uh, people have where they're in, you know, they're they're doing things kind of instinctively, and it feels like then you're really playing. So uh, play the instrument until you play. Well, pray until. You, and I think there is some of that that happens individually in our prayer lives, if we're willing to take a little more time and just be there in the Lord's presence. Oftentimes, a sense of God's presence comes on us. 
and in a group, small group prayer, I think if we're willing to take a more extended time in prayer, that often we kind of pray through the things that have mentioned for requests and wait, then there seems to be a time, from time to time, where a group will enter into a deeper sense of being in the Lord's presence and having having the guidance of the Holy Spirit in exactly how we pray, and uh, prayer even becomes more effective. So pray until you pray. Um, in uh, James 5.16, Therefore confess your sin, sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That is... Um, as it, as it is becoming effective, <clears throat> there's great power, James says. There's an idea of <clears throat> active involvement. In Jesus' life, um, uh, it, now I don't know if this, I think this may refer to Jesus' whole life, certainly in the Garden of Gethsemane, but perhaps in his whole life. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications uh, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from, the de- from death. Um, and he was heard because of his reverence. Um, this is uh, a, a deep, intense interaction with God, isn't it? Offering up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Um, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think you can fake that. I don't think you can say, okay, I'm going to cry when I'm praying now, maybe it'll be more effective. You know, that isn't, I, I think that as we pray from time to time, the urgency or the depth of need of what we're praying for just flows over us and consumes us almost, and we begin to weep or to cry out to God. And that's happened to me from time to time. There isn't anything I can make happen, but I mention that because if that does happen, um, I don't want you to run away from it. I don't want you to be afraid of that. I don't want you to be embarrassed by it. Okay. A number of years ago, uh, Margaret and I, when we still lived in Illinois, we we were at, a, at some people's, and their daughter was very, very. It was a it was a, a congenital heart problem, and, and there was a question. Was unsure whether she was going to live or not. And this little girl was probably four. She was just playing with her toys on the floor, and we, and 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 Margaret and I, and. Four or five other people were just sitting there kind of in a circle on their family room floor, just kind of one after another praying for this little girl uh, that the Lord would heal her. And it was good prayer. It was, it was genuine prayer. And it was heartfelt prayer. And I don't know if you ever do this, but kind of we're sitting there like this, and then I just kind of opened my eyes after there was a pause. I kind of opened my eyes and just kind of looked and, Right across the circle, I saw this, this friend of ours. 
she wasn't the mother of the little girl, but she was a close friend. <clears throat> and she had children of her own. And she just had tears streaming down her cheeks. And, and she hadn't prayed out loud at all. And I just said to her, I won't say her name, but I just said to her, Judy, go ahead, you can pray. And she was just, her, she said, oh, I couldn't. And what she meant was she'd be too embarrassed. And I said, no, go ahead. You're with friends. It's okay. And she started to pray. And the, this, the deep love that a mother has for her children and her love for that little girl who wasn't her child, but she could feel that same kind of love, that just poured out in, in sobs and tears. And all of a sudden, we were in God's presence in a way that we hadn't been up to that point. And I think that's... That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about with Jesus. who He would sense the needs of the crowds. He'd sense that they were sheep without a shepherd. He'd sense the deep spiritual needs of the lost. He'd sense the needs of the... And he would just cry out to God in prayer. Prayer of a heart of compassion and with urgency. And... I, is that are you understanding what I'm saying? And, and I, I think when that if that happens to us, that we ought not to run from it or be embarrassed by it. Uh, who in the prayers offered up? What does the word supplication mean? Pammy's saying, uh, who in the days of his flesh, Um Hikateria, I have to be honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> I have to look at a dictionary, okay? Um, there's another word for intercession that means brings requests to someone, but it's not that word. So, I, supplication. I, I don't. I, uh, in English, the word supplication means request for something, but um, yeah. I, but I don't know what that Greek word means, and I can't look it up right now. Okay. Anybody else know? <laughs> ben, you're helping me here? Or John? Request or plea. Request or plea. The Greek dictionary in the back of his Greek New Testament. So. Request or plea. All right. <clears throat> I'm sure we could do more by doing a word search, and but I don't have that. Okay. Uncommon word, I think. Um, so sometimes that sense of being, this is what I've been talking about, sometimes that sense of being in God's presence, a strong atmosphere of prayer comes on us, and then prayer is very effective. And in this book, this David McIntyre book, The Hidden Life of Prayer, about Jonathan Edwards, uh, a and then an uh, amazing theologian in the uh, early 1700s in the United States, Jonathan Edwards uh, would sometimes send time, send word, I will forego my dinner, because he was praying, and a sense of God's presence had come on him, and he didn't want anything to interrupt. If the Holy Spirit gives this kind of strong awareness of God's presence, don't interrupt it. It's a special blessing. And 
I think because it's somewhat foreign to us, we tend to be so emotionally even keel. There might be a tendency if you're in a small group and then and then all of a sudden a real strong sense of the Lord's presence starts to come and people are actually deeply crying out to God and, and perhaps weeping. There's something in us that might want to crack a joke and break the seriousness of the atmosphere because we're uncomfortable with it. Don't do that. Because I think that's touching the Holy Spirit. Just let it be. And don't... And the enemy may just come and try to distract you, make you think of something else. No, stay there in the Lord's presence if, if, if possible. I mean, if you've, got, if you've got to get to work or something like that, then you've got to get to work. But, but there are times when we don't have to. I had an experience <clears throat> um, a number of years ago where I was teaching in, in, at Trinity uh, Divinity School in uh, Deerfield, Illinois, but they had asked me to speak at Glen Ellen Bible Church, and I drove a little over an hour to get there, preached in the morning, and then instead of driving back and then driving back for the evening service, I just asked if I could stay in the church for that afternoon, so I did, and uh, just got a quick lunch, and then I uh, went down to the church basement and uh, just sat there and started to read my Bible and started to pray, and there was this really, really strong sense of God's presence came on me. I began to pray for one after another, my children, pray for Margaret, pray for friends, just pray for one thing after another. And it was a wonderful time of prayer. And then my eye fell on this stack of term papers supposed to be grading. And I was almost done with the term papers. And I thought, oh, man, it's only about... 1.30 1.30 here in the afternoon. I'll just take an hour and I'll grade these term papers and then I'm going to pray for the rest of the afternoon. So I stopped praying, graded the papers, took about an hour, and I started to pray again. Nothing. Just, just dead. I mean, just there was a spiritual kind of dryness there. And that, that sense of the Holy Spirit's presence did not return. You know what I'd done? I'd grieved the Holy Spirit. See, it'd be, it'd be as if President Bush showed up at my front door and said, Wayne, I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes. And I said, yeah, just let me finish grading these term papers. I'll see you. In, can you wait here for an hour? I'll be right back. And that was what I had done to the Holy Spirit. And I think that's that's grievous spirit. That's a privilege when, when he gives us from time to time a strong sense of being in his presence and hearing our prayers. Don't tamper with it. It's a special blessing. I'll stop there and see if you want to act, uh, interact on that before I go to the next point. At all? Anything? Okay, Ben. Wait just a minute, Ben. From, excuse me, from the point of praying until you pray, until you enter the Lord's presence, um, I used to go to a church back in Texas. One week the pastor preached on this idea of praying until you pray. He encouraged us just to go back that afternoon and go into closet and pray, your prayer closet. And uh, he said, you know, don't come back to church if necessary, if you still need to stay and pray until you pray. And uh, I took his advice, went home and did that, and um, we had a room upstairs and away from the rest of the house, and 
it turned out just to be an amazing time. I really felt like from that day forward that I had <clears throat> met the Lord as a person. And that changed the way I looked at my Christianity. It changed the way I looked at prayer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you're talking about the Holy Spirit being like President Bush coming. And it, it, he became like a person. Mm-hmm. And um, so my, my, my prayer life's never been the same. Mm. And my life wow. has never been the same just because I met him. Wow. And it was just at the, at the kind encouragement of a pastor just to stay yeah. there. Until you sense, and it, for me, it took a lot of things. It was a lot of confession of sin. It was getting my motives right. It was being quiet and stilling my heart. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things involved, but uh, it was the best four hours or so I'd ever spent. Wow, it was really encouraging. Good, yeah, good, good, good. Thanks. Anything else? Okay, Carol. Uh, just a second. Involved with a small Bible study prayer group. And the Holy Spirit was with us. And time after time, someone, some need would be on my heart. And someone else would pray for it. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and just continually was yeah. that way. And yeah. we there were a lot of tears shed during those prayer times. And yeah. it was really precious. And um, I still experience it personally. Um, but nothing like in the when there were several of us praying yeah. for the same needs and how the mm-hmm. Lord just put the yeah. words in someone else's mouth that to was pray in for our what heart. you want, what you and you hadn't mentioned, but yeah, yeah, and that will happen from time to time. The Holy Spirit guides. I can, <laughs> I can see on your face, and there's a little tear there, Carol. Because, what is that? Why is that? I, I don't think those are tears of sadness. I think when we have a sense of God's, what I call tears of awe or reverence. And uh, the same thing happened to me watching that Nativity Story movie last night. And I saw Mary there holding that little baby. I just, it's, uh, it's not sadness tears. It's tears of reverence and awe when the Lord's presence comes. Um, thank you. Anything else? In my life, um, the Lord has been so dear with prayer um, uh, from the time that I, I came to know him. But um, there was a season in my life about uh, 22 years ago that um, for about four months, I just felt like my prayers didn't go any farther than the ceiling. Yep. And it was sin. It mm. was sin. And um, I got away, um, uh, I went away for a weekend and was by myself in a, um, a retreat center and just had that time before the Lord of just honest, gut-rent, nasty confession of mental thoughts, of sins of commission and omission, and it... it uh, it took my breath away. How mm-hmm. uh, just it, that was so necessary mm-hmm. and so needed. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that God had left me. It was that I had, I had, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, filled my thoughts with other things. Yeah. And so um, it was a revival, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a one-on-one, and very much like what Ben said that um, it, it, that God is God, but that it, this personal relationship and. and 
the Holy Spirit isn't an it, he is a he. And, and it, was, it, it was really um, a revival. So I think if people feel their prayers aren't going anywhere or aren't, are, you know, are just hitting, that I dare say that the problem isn't with the Lord. It, it is with, it's with us. So. Mm. And it can be different things, and it can be sin. And I, I've had those too, Pammy. I, I remember once driving, the Lord just hit me with a conviction of, of an attitude that was coming out in actions that were just wrong and words that were wrong. And I just had to, I started to weep. I had to pull the car over to the side of the road and just stop and just weep because, and just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, that's it. We need that from time to time. So sometimes, sometimes it is that. Sometimes it's just not quite knowing what to pray or how to pray. And so that's why I'm talking about this. Um, but, some, but it takes time. There's a lot in the Bible about waiting on the Lord and, and, uh, that that takes some time. So, yeah, there's nothing like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, what kind of prayer is most effective? Well, prayer that interacts personally with God. And you know, if it is the case, and there there we go through times in our lives where it seems like, as Pammy said, prayer isn't going beyond the ceiling. It seems like it just. I think it still takes some time to pray, but but it's, it some doesn't it. And so I, I think first step there is to say, Lord, please show me what's wrong. Help me to know. I want to be in your presence. I want to be able to talk with you and sense that you're hearing me. Lord, help, help me. And, and, uh, and I think he'll honor that prayer many times. Okay. Um, another uh, kind of prayer. Okay, what kind of prayer is most effective? Well, point A that I just spent the last... 20, 30 minutes on prayer that interacts personally with God. And by interacting personally, it is, it is calling out to him, having a sense of his presence. But I think sometimes we say, Lord, this is what seems right to me. This is what I'm asking for, but if it's not right, let me know. And then we wait, and oftentimes God will bring more things to mind. that will help you understand more clearly what it is you should pray for, or why you shouldn't be asking for what you're asking for, or something like that. There's a kind of personal interaction, too, where he guides us in our prayers. And then B asks for what is pleasing to God. Uh, well, you say, well, thanks a lot. How do I know what's pleasing to God? Uh, I, um, I suppose out of those many names of people who have sent in their name for a senior pastor at Scottsdale Bible Church, there are probably a number of those candidates who are saying, Lord, do you want me to be senior pastor at Scottsdale Bible Church? Will you help me know? And I think that's what they should be praying. And some of them will probably come to the point where they say, I think I'm going to take my hat out of the ring. I'm going to take my name out of consideration. I don't think it's right. But they'll do that by spending time with God in prayer. And, and sometimes there's a combination of an, a sense of what is right or a kind of, I don't know if you call it emotional or spiritual internal sense, this is right or this is not right. But also, I think God often works by helping us to understand more reasons why something is right or something is wrong. It's both. It's, uh, it's reasons that we can understand and explain to others with our intellect, and then things that, um, Things that are just kind of a sense, a subjective sense of what's right to pray for and what's not. Um, 
Jack called me a couple days ago to ask about something, and I said, yeah, I had a draft of it on my computer, and I haven't felt permission from the Lord to work on it anymore. And Jack said, well, maybe this is prompting you to feel permission or something. And it was. See, and now I think this afternoon I'm going to get working on it. But it was a combination of it wasn't the right time. And um, But then, then the Lord brought somebody else's phone call to say, hey, this probably is the right time. And I, I, we're, we are whole people. We're complex people. And God works through a whole variety of things. Our subjective spiritual sense of what is right to pray for and our knowledge of the fact and our interaction with others and surely our reading of Scripture. So we read Scripture and then we begin to pray for something. Um, and when I read verses and... Something comes to mind and pray about that as well. So, how do you know what's pleasing for God? When we get to section C1 about praying according to God's will on the back page, which is going to be, it uh, looks like it's going to be the next uh, class session after the first year, we'll talk more about how you know what is God's will. But in brief, um, you know what's God's will by, by understanding what the Bible says, if it applies to the situation, and it often does, there's often something that gives you an answer. And then, what you know of the situation and what kinds of things are pleasing to God. And I think also that God leads us and guides us in what we would call a spiritual discernment or some people call it subjective sense of what is God's will. There's a combination of those things. And uh, when we ask for what is pleasing to God, then that kind of prayer is more effective as well. I'm going to another... Well, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, 1 John 4, 5, 14 to 15, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. I'm going to unpack... I'll just give you a preview here. According to his will, I think means according to his revealed will in Scripture. That is, according to what God tells us in the Bible is pleasing to him. So, praying for a friend who needs a job, Lord, your word says that we should support ourselves and uh, um, work quietly with our own hands, command the respect of outsiders and be dependent on no one. Uh, six days shall you labor and do all your work. And the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You tell us in your word that you want us to work. And here my friend Pete needs a job. Will you please help him get a job? See, I know I'm praying according to something in Scripture. So then that gives me a lot of guidance with what God's will is. Um, but, our, but the classic example, the other example where you don't always know is um, you pray for your son to win the soccer game <laughs> or the Cardinals to win the football game. I've never, I've never had permission from the Lord to pray for one side or another in a game because I can't find anything that guides me on that. So I can pray some other things, help my son be a good sport, help him to play hard and do well and be skillful and, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, we'll talk about that more next time. I think praying according to God's will is not, Lord, let me know what you have decreed from before the foundation of the world to happen so that I can pray for what's already going to happen anyway. I don't think that's that sense of God's will. I'll get back to that later. I think it's his revealed will in Scripture. Okay. That's just a hint of where we're going when we come to it later. Uh, effective prayer is made possible by our mediator, Jesus Christ. I put this in just as a reminder to us 
that we shouldn't ever become proud and think that we have a right to come before the omnipotent God of the whole universe, the infinitely holy, infinitely just and pure God who is of purer eyes than to behold evil, that we can come before him on our own, on our own merits. God, here I am, just kind of assuming that he has to hear us. No, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so we come because he has gone before us. He alone is worthy, is sinless, is worthy to enter into God's presence and he brings us as the mediator before him. So Hebrews 10:19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and here uh, I think the ESV has translated this correctly, holy places, it's plural in Greek, and it's the Old Testament image of the of the tabernacle or the temple, and you had the two rooms inside. You had the first room, which was the holy place, and the priest could go in and out of that uh, every day uh, doing their priestly duties. But then behind the veil, there was this holy of holies, and only the high priest could come in there. And just one day out of a year, on the Day of Atonement, and he'd bring the blood of the sacrifice of, uh, of the Day of Atonement to sprinkle on the altar. And there in the holy of holies... There was the Ark of the Covenant. There was the, 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 the glory of God dwelling among the people of Israel over the Ark of the Covenant. It was completely dark except for the light of the glory of God that was in there. And only the high priest. And, the, and, and then the priest could come into the holy place, but then the people could just stay way out here in the courtyard where they could bring their sacrifices, but they couldn't go any farther. And the priests would help with the sacrifices and the priests could go into the holy place. But then the people of Israel couldn't get any closer in the courtyard. And the Gentiles, the Gentiles couldn't even go there. They were excluded from the whole area altogether. And now the book of Hebrews says, we have confidence, Jews and Gentiles alike, all who believe in Jesus, we have confidence to enter into the plural holy places right into the holy of holies spiritually but it's the true holy of holies the true place in heaven where God dwells we come into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus because his sacrifice not the animal sacrifice of the Old Testament because his sacrifice has paid the penalty for our sins and opened the way for us so we come not on our own but through Jesus' merits and because he enables us to come. Now that raises the question, what is praying in Jesus' name? Jesus had said in John 14, 13 to 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So here you're asking the Father, here you're asking Jesus. Um, in my name. Well, it does not simply mean adding the phrase in Jesus' name after every prayer. And I know that's a kind of a habit we have in at least American English-speaking uh, churches. That's kind of it's become, kind of become a custom in Jesus' name. But it's interesting that no prayer in the Bible has that phrase at the end. Read through the prayers in the Gospels, the prayers in the Epistles. None of them say in Jesus' name, Amen. Why not? Well, could praying in Jesus' name mean something other than saying that? I think. Uh, well, here. Uh, Jesus gives us an example of prayer in Matthew uh, 6, 9-13. 
Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It doesn't say in Jesus' name, Amen. Hmm. I think the reason is that praying in Jesus' name is prayer made on his authorization, that he's, 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 he's enabled us, he's told us, he's authorized us to come. Uh, so it, Peter could say, in the name of Jesus, that is in the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's what in Acts 3.6. Uh, or the Sanhedrin is inquiring of the apostle, by what uh, power, by what did you do this? That is whose authority? The, the authority. It's, it's made on Jesus' authority or authorization. Um, if you, uh, if an ambassador comes in the name of the United States to another country, he's come in the authority of the United States. It's also praying in a way that's consistent with Jesus' character and reflects his manner of life and his own will. That is, um, in modern, in English, modern society, uh, Garth, it's just, it's just a, it's a name of a person. I say, hi, Garth, and he says, hi, Wayne, and so it's just, you know, that's just, but in, in biblical thinking, a name is really descriptive of a person's character. And so, you go, even get God changing people's names from Abram to Abraham, and Sarai to Sarah, and Jacob to Israel, and people changing, God changing people's names to reflect something more of, of who they are. And so, I don't even I don't know what Garth means. Do you know what it means? No, it doesn't. It's just kind of a name. And uh, uh, Carol, I don't. I mean, Carol might mean a song or something. A Christmas Carol. <laughs> I'm not sure. And Clyde, I don't know what Clyde means either. Do you? It's a river in Scotland. It's a river in Scotland. All right. <laughs> that actually isn't very descriptive of Clyde's character. Hello, river in Scotland. How are you? <laughs> okay. Okay, all right, all right. You're going to miss. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Okay. All right. So our names don't often, but, but in the Bible, a name is, you know, brave one or righteous one or, or godly one or something like that where it's describing something that's characteristic of a person. And, and God's name, there are a number of names of God that give different descriptions of who he is, the, the mighty God or the, the holy one and things like that. So Jesus' name, in a really full, deep, rich sense, is all of Jesus' character, all of who he is, everything that he is like. He's truthful and wise and holy and, and uh, loving and gracious and just and, and merciful and full and eternal. And all of that is all of who he is. The whole of his character is really his name. The name is the description of the whole thing. Uh, that is the whole of, of something in the ancient world. And so the name is a description of the whole person. And so praying in Jesus' name is praying in a way that's... Con- it's not only on his authority, but it's also praying in a way that's consistent with his character and his will. Okay? Now, it's not wrong to say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayers. It's not wrong to do that. It's, you know, it's doctrinally correct. As long as we understand what's meant by it, and it's not necessary to do it. And it, it might, now, you can do what you want, but because our prayers are kind of picked up by other people and imitated and newer Christians imitate them, there might be some times where you might, in other words, say something. Instead of saying in Jesus' name, say, well, we don't come in our own merits, but in the merits of Jesus Christ, and he's invited us to come. 
Or, you know, I just say, Amen. Why? Well, I don't know. I just, I just, I do somewhat because I don't want people to think it's kind of a magic formula that you have to add at the end. Uh, I know that we have to remember that we come on Jesus' merits. We just talked about that a few minutes ago, and we come because he's authorized us. But I don't think we have to say in Jesus' name at the end of every prayer. Okay? And a lot of times I, I just don't. And then my mother says, Wayne, why aren't you saying in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer? So then I do again. <laughs> but anyway... At 89 years old, I'm not, she's not going to, that, you know. <laughs> okay, I love her. She's a wonderful mom. Questions on that? Do you want to talk about that? Is that making sense? Is that clear? Yeah, oh, way in the back, Diane. What's the basis for adding amen? <clears throat> Um, there are amens in the Bible. Hmm? Yeah. In Revelation 20, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Be with all. Amen. That's the last word in the Bible. <laughs> In the whole Bible. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think it's, it, it, I mean, it, it means let it be so. Um, so, uh, again, I would need a concordance. Have you done this and looked? Have you searched on Amen in different parts? Yeah, you will. <laughs> okay. Um, I. It's helpful when we're praying with other people to say something that means, I'm done praying now. <laughs> and amen kind of does that. Isn't that kind of what people are doing with in Jesus' name, too? No, because like they add know. amen after it. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of saying, yeah. it's a conclusionary remark. Okay, maybe. I'll, I'll check it. Yeah, <laughs> I think I will, too. <laughs> okay, good. Anything else? On that. Okay. Uh, should we pray to Jesus and the Holy Spirit? This is another question that people ask. Should we pray to God the Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name? That's the most frequent pattern in Scripture. But what about praying to Jesus? And what about praying to the Holy Spirit? Well, <clears throat> there are a number of prayers to Jesus in the Bible. In fact, I didn't put this verse here, but uh, if you ask me anything in my name, John fourteen fourteen, that's assuming that we're going to pray to Jesus. Right? And then there are others that are patterns in Acts. For instance, they were stoning Stephen. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's a prayer to Jesus. And uh, Acts one twenty four, they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. Now, Lord in the Bible sometimes can mean God the Father and sometimes can mean the Son. But in the New Testament, and uh, especially in the New Testament, in Acts and the Epistles, much more often the word Lord is used of Jesus, uh, God the Son, or Jesus Christ. 
And the word God is used of God the Father much more often. That's the general pattern. Not 100%, but the general pattern. And here, it is choosing another disciple. Well, who chose the first 12? Jesus. Jesus chose the first 12. Judas turned aside, so they needed a replacement. And they're saying, Jesus, please choose a replacement for Judas. So, Lord, you, the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. Uh, and then 1 Corinthians 16, 22, our Lord, come. That's, that's again, to the Lord Jesus. Or uh, Revelation 22, 20, amen, come, Lord Jesus. That's a prayer to Jesus. Yes, there are examples of prayers to Jesus. You say, well, why aren't there more in the Gospels? Well, why aren't there more prayers to Jesus in the Gospels? Hmm? Yeah, you could go and talk to him directly. He was there on earth. So, I mean, when people are saying, Lord, please come and heal my child, well, that is a prayer to Jesus, isn't it? So, um, and why doesn't Jesus pray to Jesus? Well, because he's praying to the Father, because he's Jesus. So, that, if you just go on how many examples you have in the Gospels, that, yes, there's a pattern of prayer to, to the Father, but prayer to Jesus is also right. Um, 2 Corinthians 12.8, Paul, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. I think that's, again, the Lord Jesus for uh, from Paul. And then what about praying to the Holy Spirit? There aren't, there's maybe one in Ezekiel, I don't know if I have it up here, um, but uh, there aren't explicit examples of prayer to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, but I think it's not wrong and I think it's right at times. Why? Well, the Holy Spirit is the helper. First, John 14, 26. The, Holy, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. That's a personal interaction between the Holy Spirit and Jesus' disciples who are going to be writing Scripture. Or John 14, 17, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is going to dwell personally within the disciples. He is a person, as the Father and Son are persons. And that means that he relates to us as a person. Does that mean... Um, I mean does that mean you can't talk to him? He's living within you as a person. He's the comforter. He's the helper. He's the, the paraclete. He's the one set alongside to help. And P.S., I can't talk to you? That seems cheap to me. I just don't think you should say we can't pray to the Holy Spirit. Um, um, actually, the church has a long history of songs and hymns that are prayers and praise to the Holy Spirit. It goes all the way back to 381 A.D. at the Council of Chalcedon. No, let's see. Constantinople, where there was a paragraph added to the, to the Nicene Creed about the deity of the Holy Spirit. And uh, um, I believe in God the Father Almighty and in... And, and, I'm going to have to get the Nicene Creed back in my brain here. But the last paragraph has, and in the Holy Spirit who with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. So, 381 A.D., Council of Chalcedon, which is accepted, uh, it's the form of the Nicene Creed that's accepted by Protestant, Catholic, and uh, Orthodox churches throughout history. It has at the end, the Holy Spirit is to be worshipped and glorified. That means it's prayers or praise to the Holy Spirit. That's right. Okay? And then there are hymns in the church that have expressed praise to the Holy Spirit. There's a hymn going back at least to the 5th century called Come Holy Spirit. Venite Spiritus Sanctus in Latin. And um, praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's prayer of worship or praise that's directed to the Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Mold me, fill me. Right? That's a prayer to the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Or, Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth through all its pulses move. That's another old hymn. Um, there are others. Um, Come thou almighty king, help us thy name to sing. That's the first verse. Second verse, come thou incarnate word, gird on thy mighty sword. That's to the Son. The third verse, come holy comforter, thy sacred witness bear in this sad hour. Something like thou who almighty art now rule in every heart and ne'er from us depart. Spirit of power. So those are centuries old. So the church throughout history, from 381 AD and surely before that, had a history of praying to the Holy Spirit. What? He's God. He dwells with us. He's a comforter. He's a person. And he interacts with us as a person. So don't ever let anybody say to you, you can't pray to the Holy Spirit. I think that's making a rule that the Bible doesn't have. Okay. So now, how do you know when to pray to the Father? And when to pray to the Son? And when to pray to the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure. <laughs> I've thought about it. I don't quite have an answer to that. I know uh, oftentimes I'll, I'll pray to the Father just in general, but, but many times, Lord Jesus, please help me. Or Lord, will you come and, and guide me? And then I'll pray to the Holy Spirit for the kinds of things that he does, for equipping people for me, for guiding. Okay? So, I'm not sure... I, it's an area where I think there's more to be known than I know about it. John? For what? For salvation? I'd probably pray to Jesus that he would bring, or to the Father, that he would, that he would send the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. So, it's, it's a question. I'm not, I honest, I'm just being honest with you here. I, I just don't, no more about that. I think we have freedom to pray to all three persons. The, the more frequently we have in the Bible, prayer to the Father and to the Son. More frequent. Okay. Okay. Uh, Keith, yes, Keith. Frey. So how do you pray as the editor of the new version of the Bible to the incarnate uh, word or to the uh, helper? How do I pray working on notes to the study Bible, uh, to the encourager, to the helper? I just, so, I'll be honest with you, I don't often distinguish. I just, Lord or God, please help me, guide me here. So, hmm. It's, Keith, it's an area where I think there's more to be thought about and found from Scripture here that, that I just, but I don't, I haven't spent time on it. I don't quite know the way forward, and I, I haven't read anything where people have really talked about this much. So, okay. Wayne, I think it would be hard to conceive that if we prayed to God and the answer was, nope, you brought the prayer to the wrong person. You can't do that. You can't do that. That's right. So maybe there's a lot of freedom here, Bob. That's, very, that's helpful. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that is not as... Uh, Maybe it's not a useful question. Okay, Wayne. 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 
It just seems that lately I've heard three different preachers talk about the issue of sowing a seed. Mm-hmm. And the more seed you sow, the greater your return. Would mm-hmm. you on that? Well, I don't know if that means witnessing to people or reading the Bible, or if it means praying more. I, I honestly think that if, if we as a class or we as a church would spend more time in prayer, we would come deeper into God's presence and we'd see more answers to prayer. I really believe that. And a church in the United States as a whole, if we'd spend more time in prayer, that there would be more answers to prayer because God is pleased with that. I have, I have a little notebook of things that I pray for and I've got a little post-it pad. It's right on one of the first pages and it says, this is not wasted time. This is where the kingdom of God is advanced and established. Just a reminder to me that this isn't kind of preparatory to what I'm supposed to be doing. It is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I, you know, I'm, I, I, if I would spend more time in prayer, would God answer more? Yes. Why don't I? I don't know. So, I mean, I'm just telling you honestly where I am, but I think probably you and your hearts can identify with that to some degree too. So, but I do spend time in prayer every day. And uh, it's, you know, reading the Bible and, and some time in prayer and prayer for different things. And God does answer, and so I'm thankful for that. Well, this is where I thought we'd get to. Let's stand up and sing, and I'll see you in three weeks. I'm going to pray here before we before we leave. And you know, I should say one other thing. I find myself praying through the day for various things as well as a time of extended prayer in the morning. So, okay. Lord God, our Father, we come to you and and first of all, we give you Great praise and thanks that we can come into your presence, into the Holy of Holies, and that we can our prayers before you and that you hear us. We thank you that you've forgiven us through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, when we do take time with you and we spend time in your presence, we just, we feel such joy and peace and amazement in our hearts, and we love to be in your presence, Lord. Now, during these next three weeks, as we're apart as a class, Lord, be with us. Stir up our hearts. Give us a longing to spend more time with you. Teach us to pray um, better than even than we have to this point. Draw us into fellowship with yourself. And we do come to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.